are listening to the Jersey Guys Podcast, the show that talks about hard rock, heavy metal, AOR, and West Coast music. In-depth conversation and special guests are always on tap, so settle in and turn it up. Now, here are your hosts, Tom and Mark. Hey everybody, this is Mark Ballow from the Jersey Guys Podcast. Uh, welcome to a brand new episode. I'm here with my co-host Tom Coyne, and uh, today we've got a special guest, uh, Tom's son, uh, TJ. And TJ is 21 years old, and he's been wanting to come on to the show, and we thought this would be a great time to have him on. He's home from college break, uh, winter break, and uh, we thought we'd have him on here, and we decided we were going to talk about the uh, the Black Sabbath discography basically focus on the first uh, eight albums with Ozzy Osbourne and then the uh, three albums that Ronnie James Dio recorded, uh, of course, 1980 uh, and 1981 and then again in 1992. So, yeah, we, we thought we would have a uh, kind of a cool discussion here and uh, Tom and, and TJ uh, kind of do the, the bulk of the talk here on this one and uh, I kind of stepped back and kind of acted as the moderator on this one. So we hope you guys enjoy it. So, um, Tom... Why did we want to do this? What was the uh, idea behind doing this? Well, the biggest reason I wanted to do it is because it's one of my two favorite bands, the 50-plus years I've been listening to music, and it just seems to me that nobody has done this. You know, they're, they're two eras that are kind of separated out, even though it's the same band, basically, with the, just a different front man. So I thought it would be something different and interesting and hopefully spark as much interest from listeners as, as I got from it and talking with TJ about it, who's a big Black Sabbath fan as well. So, Well, welcome, TJ. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Mark. Dan, thank you for having me as well. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a cool one. This is uh, yeah. you know, definitely a different, uh, different thing. It's a sec- the second time we've had uh, three people on. So, uh, you know, as far as being in the studio. So, uh, yeah, let's get right into it. Um, I'm going to basically play moderator on this episode. And I'm going to let TJ and Tom kind of get into it. And uh, so we're going to start as we usually do when we do these discography discussions. And we're going to start with the first album and and go chronologically. Uh, So Sabbath, everybody knows, classic legendary heavy metal band. Uh, The first album came out in 1970. Tom, you want to start and give us your thoughts on that? Uh, yes, I have a lot of thoughts on this album. Um, I didn't listen to this album until I was already introduced to them on Master of Reality. Basically, it was an age thing where I was in grammar school at the time, and Master of Reality was the first album I heard, so I went back to the other two after that. Uh, 50 years after the fact, 50-plus years after the fact, I still love this record. It still has the same effect on me it did as a 12-year-old kid. Uh, There's nothing on this album that even remotely has dated at all, which is incredible. Uh, To go through every song, there's no reason to. I think anybody that's into this type of music knows this album inside out. And I think the biggest compliment I could give to it is that, for me personally... It has not dated at all. It still has a monumental impact when you listen to it. It's like nothing else. And that's what I could say about it without really going into crazy detail. We'll get some of TJ's thoughts on it, and then I'll come back maybe on it. Yeah, definitely. Now, TJ, like full disclosure here, right from the start. I mean, you are how old? 21. 21. Okay, so 21-year-old. Let's talk about 1970 Black Sabbath debut. Yeah, so this is like a really long time before uh, <laughs> before I showed up. Um, Thirty years before I was born, so this is um, this is some legendary stuff here. I gotta say, um, this is I would say the first album in heavy metal genre. Like this is like the foundation sure. of hard rock and heavy metal. Um, again, when I got into Black Sabbath, this wasn't the first album I dove into. I would say Heaven and Hell is the first album. So I kind of had to go back a little bit. And uh, breaking down this album, 
there's some notable songs here that I came across, such as The Wizard, which is such an iconic song, um, which was actually inspired by the character Gandalf from the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit movies, which I thought was pretty interesting to point out. Um, also, um, Behind this, The Wall of Sleep, or NIB, that's another great song. So this is a great record right here. Um, and definitely, I would say, the foundation for all the bands that come afterwards, I would sure. say. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I, I, I would totally agree with that. I, I think uh, what, without over, overstating something that's been said a, a million times, this is pretty much the Old Testament of hard rock slash heavy metal, this album. If I had to, if I had to pick one record, uh, I, I would probably say this album laid the template out for a, a kind of down-tuned, uh, serious, scary as all hell, hmm. without overly trying to be. I mean, it was basically a bunch of guys in their early 20s that w- were writing in a certain style that had no n- nothing else to really base it off other than themselves. And yeah, there's, there's not, I, I wouldn't even go through the album, the songs on the album because there's nothing weak on this record. And it, the biggest compliment I could give is that it hasn't dated one iota in 50 years. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody can agree. It's pretty much an all time classic for sure. Um, now the funny thing is in back in the seventies and you saw bands that they would release things like, in a matter of a year, you would see, or less than a year, sometimes in the same we, year, we you spoke would see about that actually. Today. Albums come out, a second two album, time, come two out. albums, um, and that's the case here with Sabbath because later on in 1970, they released Paranoid, their second album. It was very common in in, in Britain, even in the early 70s, because a lot was based on the template of the the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, who did that. The right. Beatles, at some point, I think, even released maybe three albums in the course of a year. Yeah. So it was it was more you saw it more with UK bands than bands in the states. Led Zeppelin released a couple of albums early on. I, I believe Led Zeppelin One and Led Zeppelin Two came out within the period of twelve months. So it wasn't uncommon at the at this time. Yeah. For what UK your, bands. What were your thoughts on Paranoid? Paranoid was, I guess, a step up, if that was even possible, but I, I would say it was a step up only because I thought the production was a little fatter than the first album. Um, the songs were a step, I don't I hate, hate to say a step up, but I, I really think by this album, already by the second album, they had such an identifiable sound. I think on the first album, there was... There was, there was hints of blues rock, you know, throughout the album where you could see like they, they had that, that template was in place, but there was a lot of meandering and jamming and, and a lot of blues rock type of almost uh, cream type of uh, soloing and jamming. Paranoid was very structured songs and the songs they sang about were very much inspired by the Vietnam War. And what was going on throughout the whole world, particularly America, for a UK band. And I would say that album was every bit as good as the first and probably even a little bit better if that was possible. TJ? Yeah, I would agree with um, with my dad here. I would say Paranoid kind of comes out of the gate from the start and just hits you right in the face. Um, unlike the first album, the first album is such a dark album, especially with the song Black Sabbath itself, which starts out with the, you know, the bells tolling and the rainfall, all that stuff. Uh, but in Paranoid, I feel like they take a step up. Um, especially with the song Iron Man. Great song. Um, and like my dad said, a lot of the songs in this album talk about, um, anti-Vietnam War stuff that was going on in the United States in the 70s. Um, especially the song War Pigs, uh, which is about the U.S. government and sending troops um, to fight their wars for them. You know, not so much the uh, politicians getting their hands dirty. That's a direct quote from the song, their hands dirty. Um, also, Electric Funeral, which is a song about, you know, nuclear warfare, how it could end the world. And, uh, you know, the song Iron Man, which is about um, a time traveler that goes uh, into the future and sees the apocalypse. And then he comes back and tries to warn the people and... You know, the people don't listen to him, so he turns against his creator. So it's it's just a, a great album to dissect the words and the meanings behind all the songs, which is something I love to do whenever I listen to new songs. Uh, so I really think Paranoid takes a step up from the first album, and it's a lot more heavier, in my opinion. And it's uh, one of my favorites, I would say, yeah. definitely. 
Now you're very much a a vinyl guy, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So how, how did you get uh, kind of settled on saying, "Hey, I wanted to to listen and enjoy this stuff on vinyl." Uh, so my girlfriend got me a record player a couple of years ago. Uh, one of those like, record players you could like fold up and like, you know, take around and like, yeah. you know, plug in everything. It has a Bluetooth and everything. It's just a little cool machine. So, uh, my dad started getting me records and, um, I kind of just like, you know, dissected a lot of the, uh, the stuff that he was giving me. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff. I even have the paranoid, uh, vinyl that he gave me. And there's some other stuff on here too, as well. Heaven and hell. And, you know, there's, uh, some good albums that he gave me that I, you know, I'll just listen to in college. Like I'll kick back and just sit in my room and blast the stuff on the vinyl and, uh, you know, turn up all the way and, and really listen to uh, the meanings behind the songs. And, you know, it's such a great thing to do, especially when like you have downtime just to sit back and really enjoy hard rock, heavy metal. And there's no other band better than Black Sabbath, in my opinion. There you go. Well, now uh, the following year, they, after the first two albums in 1970, 1971 comes along and Master of Reality comes out. What are your feelings on that? It was a great follow-up to the second album. This was the album that I first got into them on. I was guess I was a I was in the eighth grade. In I was one year old. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel great. You were a year old. And TJ was thirty years. Not even it wasn't even a thought yet. Right, and I was already a year away from high school. Uh, I love this record, and and. When we do at the end what we usually do with our, our breakdowns of how albums rank, the only reason this album uh, doesn't rank maybe as high as I would have liked it to or people would have thought, it, when they listened to this, maybe thought it would have. It, it, it's kind of a sh- very short record. It's got eight songs. Two songs are barely a minute long intros. The song Solitude is, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like, background music it was i think something you know for the early 70s if you're smoking weed and you know drinking and you know kind of <laughs> out there in another place so like for me personally like even then and and now it, it really breaks down to five it's a five for me it's a five song record so in, in today's day and age or maybe even as you know going back into the 90s this would have been an ep those five songs on this album are great they're as, as good as it gets uh, from Sweet Leaf to The Great After Forever, which is one of my favorite, Children of the Grave, Lord of This World, um, Into the Void. It, it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's just a little short on content for, for my, that would, that would be my only knock on the record. Yeah, I would agree as well. It's a short record. Um, and it's a dark record. It, it's, you know, everything that they talk about in all these songs are just, are just dark. Um, Again, Sweet Leaf, uh, you know, another great song, starting off with Ozzy just coughing into the microphone, you know, uh, that one's about marijuana use. Um, you know, Children of the Grave, I think is, that's one of my favorite Sabbath songs, I would say. Um, I love to have the argument about is Children of the Grave better than Children of the Sea? You know, it's kind of like Dio versus Ozzy, you know, like, you know, just taking out that one word yeah. and comparing the two. It's really hard to do as well. You know, I don't know which one is better. I would say it's a stalemate. Um, yeah. I mean, we're kind of doing that today. We're doing the, you know, the Aussie versus uh, right. Dio. So. Right. So that's a good thing to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's something to think about for sure. It's like, I mean, which song is better? I don't know. They're just so great. Um, yeah. And then Into the Void, another uh, great song, which is really about uh, Earth becoming so terrible that a group of astronauts fly out to space to try to find a new planet. It's just such a strange concept here. Um and again, Children of the Grave is another anti-Vietnam War song. So, um, yeah, it's it's a great record, a short one. Um, but uh, I wouldn't take away anything from this besides the fact that it is, it's awesome. Yeah. What's amazing is that he's, with modern technology, has figured out what a lot of these songs meant. And back in the day, I used to listen to them repeatedly with headphones in, in, in my bedroom as a kid. And you'd try to figure out what they were because they weren't the average... Um, even back in that era, even as great as Led Zeppelin was, Led Zeppelin had a lot of songs about, you know, women and sex and, you know, uh, that type. But th- these guys, you knew there was just like, there was so much going on. And it was, you listen to these songs, you know, after forever, would you like to see the Pope on the end of a rope? Do you think he's a fool? And you'd be like, oh, is that, that, now it's religion. And it's like, what yeah. does that mean? Are they anti-religion? Are they just mad at the... There were all these things that went on. You know, every, we all loved Sweet Leaf because 
any kid that was in high school at that time, you know, either dabbled in pot or know that somebody did smoke pot. So that was like, okay, you knew what that song meant. Yeah. But stuff like Lord of This World, uh, Children of the Grave, you know, that was like, what, what does this mean? You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, Children of the Grave is, you know, it's an anti-war song, um, but you really dig into what it's about. Um, it talks a lot about to the youth, you know, the children and how we are growing up in the society. We're fighting wars for our government, you know, right. across, you know, countries and everything like that. And it's 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 really great to break down and listen to. Well, that was their mantra for a couple of albums from Paranoid to Master of Reality and, and a little bit into volume four. Uh, that was a very big mantra of theirs was the anti-war and the way governments were you know, throwing young people out there to fight their wars over a lot of bullshit in, uh, you know, in, in many instances. Another thing I wanted to say about this record before we move on is that it's it's widely re- accepted uh, or, or, or talked about that this was the, f- the album that is regarded as uh, the beginning of uh, doom, sludge metal, all these different terms that have come over. And I think it was mainly because of the production of this record. If you listen to this record, it didn't sound like any of their other records. It was super, super bassy, that even if you wanted to take the bass out of it, it still was ridiculously bassy. And not in a bad way, it still had a, had a good sound, but it had a very different production than any of their other albums. It, it had that, between the context and the the way it was recorded, it was it, it's widely talked about. Is that this is like the the first uh, doom sludge, uh, what, whatever, all these terms that have come out over the years, uh, all go back to the production and the content of this album. Yeah, this is like one of their most successful albums, definitely in the top three. For Black in terms Sabbath. of sales. In yeah. terms of sales, yeah, absolutely. Because this was the first album that started to break the states. The, the first two at the time, I mean, they did after later, but right. the first two didn't so much as this one. Right. Now, you, you mentioned it just a minute ago. You talked about it. Uh, the following year, now it's 1972, Volume 4 comes along. Um, so what were your thoughts on that? Uh, more of the same in, in terms of, of a great band, uh, just getting better and better, which was hard to believe. They were one of these bands that, you know, at this at, at this juncture, uh, just when you thought they couldn't get better, they got better. And th- this album, to me, is better than the first three, just on its content. This was 10 songs, and every, every song was great. And it also had that kind of similar pr- production to uh, Master of Reality, but I, I, the songs just speak for themselves on this album. This this is one of my this is one of my all time favorite records. I mean, TJ could elaborate more on songs. <laughs> Actually, I looked into what these songs meant, and I couldn't find a lot to be honest with you on this yeah. album in particular. Um, obviously, we know Snowblind is about cocaine usage that was very heavy at this time period, uh, and Snowblind is a great song. You know, I mean, you listen to what they're talking about, you know, icicles within my veins, you know, all that stuff. It, it's just, it's crazy. Um, and Supernaut, that's a great song. I mean, that's, again, top five, I would say, songs It's one of the me. all-time great riffs. Yeah, I would say top five Sabbath yeah. songs personally yeah, for the, me. the riff is, is incredible. Oh, it's amazing. I remember the first time hearing that song on the radio in the car, and I was just, I was out of traffic light. I was like, what is yeah, this? That's, yeah, that's the type of like, song what is. This, this yep. is just... For, this as is soon just, as you hear that riff, it's, it's like... It's like you stop what you're doing. I'm like, wow, yeah. that's... That's crazy, yep. you know. Um, and there's other songs in here too. Cornucopia is another good Cornucopia one. Cornucopia is great. Yeah, uh, Sing Vitus Dance. That's a great one as well. Um, so again, there's just more good stuff on this album, building on uh, the previous albums here. And uh, yeah, I would say, I would say it's up there. And the super doomy under the sun that closes out the album. Absolutely. Well, now moving right along. I mean, it's rapid fire now, just as we talk about with bands in the 70s, uh, 73 now, uh, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. What, uh, what do you want to say about that one? Well, <laughs> even more than I said in the first four. Yeah. Uh, this, in my opinion, is their best album. This was their apex, in, in my opinion. I, I actually saw them for the first time on this tour uh, at Madison Square Garden with uh, Aerosmith opening. Wow. On, on their first album. So this was the first time I saw Black Sabbath. 
this album w- was even a, a step up from Volume Four. The the songwriting was phenomenal. They they integrated keyboards uh, heavily on cer- certain songs by way of the great Rick Wakeman from Yes. This has always been my favorite record. Is just absolute perfection. The songwriting is really deep. Not so much doom and gloom and war ridden and and all of that as 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 previously, but really deep songs, great hooks, and a, a little p- progressive elements in some of the songs. Uh, National Acrobat, Spiral City Architect. I mean that that closes the the end of the album. Um, Who are you? was different for them. And then you had the typical super catchy in your face songs like Killing Yourself for Live, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, you know, so it, it's this Abracadabra. album. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was it was just absolute brilliance. Yeah, absolutely. Um a lot of these songs I knew of, you know, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, Sabracadabra. But then my dad told me, I would say recently, within a year, uh, he had said, check out the song Killing Yourself to Live. Let me know what you think. I was like, okay, don't know anything about it. Uh, and I knew it was on the Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. I'm like, it's interesting because I, I probably should know that song. It's on such a great record. And I listened to it. And that, that song is just amazing, um, which is we- weirdly written about um, Geezer Butler being in the hospital because he had uh, kidney problems due to heavy drinking. So he was killing himself to live. Uh, so it's pretty interesting to, to look at that. Um, but this is a great great album this is in my top three in the ranking spoiler alert uh <laughs> so um yeah i mean this is so much to break down in this album uh, national acrobat which my dad had mentioned sabra cadabra uh sabbath bloody sabbath the title track and killing yourself to live um i think they're just getting better and better as the years go on <laughs> you know this is just a and spiral break. i mean it's it's spiral i always call it spiral city architect because he says that in the song but Sp- spiral architect is just such a great song and it's not real heavy it's it's just such a, a well-written song and it's it's just tr- tremendous yeah absolutely now i talked about how it was we were going kind of uh or the band was going sort of like you know rapid fire but there's a year in between because uh, the following album, Sabotage, doesn't come out until 1975. Now, you can like, what was the reason for that? Was the band just touring more heavily, or was yeah? There- well, the the, they, the band got big in in the states on on this album, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. They they played uh, the California Jam, and that the California Jam. When you do like research and read a million books on, on on Black Sabbath, like I have, the California Jam, believe it or not, is really the first thing that broke Black Sabbath in the states, because this was their this was their first tour of the states. Even though they had four albums out, this was their first major tour of the states. They had played in the states as as an opening band and, and whatnot, but this was their first time as a you know arena headliner and and that california jam show uh broke them pretty big even though they were not one of the headliners on that that bill that was like i said that was the first time i saw them and that was more extensive touring than they had did on the 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 four albums before now sabotage uh what what were your feelings on that well this was the second time i saw them um on this album i saw them at the garden with Ted Nugent opening and another great record. Uh, I always tell people with this record, even if you, if you don't want to digest the whole thing, just the first two songs out of the bat, you know, yeah. hole in the sky yep. and symptom of the universe. Yep. <laughs> it's two of the best songs they've ever written. I don't think there's ever been a one, two punch, you know, uh, like that. And, uh, the, the whole album is great. Megalomania is great. Thrill of It All is, is great. Yeah. Uh, the Writ, um, Superzar is is good. Uh, they used to, they used to use Superzar as a introduction when they came on stage because it was it was an instrumental. Uh, the only thing I really didn't never liked on this album was Am I Going Insane, which is just like an Aussie drone that just goes on forever. <laughs> but it, that's it doesn't even it doesn't change how great the the record is. It, it's it's yeah, more more brilliance. Yeah, uh, hole in the sky. I mean, this is a song that 
how many times, Dad, do I tell you? Like, right. this is just no, another riff, amazing. Yeah, like, one of the greatest riffs of all time. No matter how many time. times you listen to it, I say, oh, my God. And the production on this was tremendous. so big. The, the, the drum sound and the guitar sound yep. on this record was so massive, especially for that time. It, it was incredible. Yeah. Symptom of the Universe. I mean, that's a song that right out of the gate with the riff is is amazing yeah, no, it goes all the way to the end too it's got some of their best songs it's, on it this album this is a real heavy heavy yeah, album very heavy you know yeah. very heavy yeah and uh i would say this is just a great album <laughs> you know <laughs> it is i mean there's no way around it um it's a hole in the sky interesting song like i said so it's one of my favorites looked into what what does this song mean you know it's it's something about a hole in the sky i mean what does it mean so it actually means something about life in prison talks about a prisoner that's in his jail cell doesn't have a view he's living rent free uh so i thought that was interesting to point out because this is a song that no matter how many times you listen to it's like what the hell is this about you know same thing with the other songs here the thrill of it all symptom of the universe i mean this is just a very deep stuff. writing on this yeah. album i mean this was i i think whatever this lineup had to give it was you know squeezed out on, on this this record yeah so now we follow up the following year. Now it's 1976, and we have Technical Ecstasy. Well, this was not a classic. <laughs> um, this was, um, I, you know, if you're on Facebook like we all are, and, and, and you read the constant comments of, of peoples and opinions, and what I always would like to know when people make opinions is how old they are. You know, it, it kind of makes a difference for me. You know, if somebody's telling me this oh this record is great and you know like it's uh, it's it's not great it's it's different from what they had done it's a very weird production because the accentuation on the drum sound and the bass sound wasn't there who was the uh, producer on, on the producer album? on this was produced by them they produced okay. it themselves yeah is this the one that they did in Miami? Yes, this is, yeah, recorded yeah, in Miami they did, Beach. Right, they, they did this in Miami. They did it themselves, and the production showed that they did, them, did it themselves. It wasn't very good, <laughs> uh, unlike most of their other stuff. Um, I, I don't like this record at all. Backstreet Kids is, it's, you know, it's, it's a throwaway song. You Won't Change Me was kind of ballady it's all right bill ward sang that song and yeah it was all right Gym gypsy all right all moving parts stand still was a pretty good song rock and roll doctor is terrible she's gone <laughs> is terrible dirty women was a great yeah, song that's a great song they they added that into their their set live on the following tour it was like the only song off this this album that that made it into their live set it had one great song on it, which was Dirty Woman, which they say, oddly enough, they saved for the last song. Yeah. It's kind of... I think it's funny that, ballsy. you know, uh, your your opinion on this one now, because uh, you're a guy that obviously, you were living this at this time. Right. This was, you know, you were seeing the band live. Right. You were of, of that age. Right. But I want to now hear, like, TJ's thoughts on this one, because, you know, you obviously are coming from a, a different vantage point with right. your age. I would say this is the beginning of the end for the Aussie period. Okay. Okay. Um, heavy drug use at this point. I mean, it's really apparent starting in this album for them, uh, the drug use within the band. Um, but I would say this is the beginning of the end for them. This was recorded in Miami Beach. And it's just different because they're so used to the doom and gloom, you know, of the earlier albums. And I think that recording in Miami Beach changed something within the band and they gave them a very commercial, mainstream sounding, Absolutely. you know, like they were trying to sound. And this is true. T Tony Iommi said that he wanted to sound like Foreigner and Queen in this album. And I don't know why they would do that, but it, it did not work. <laughs> yeah. Definitely did not work. But the sound of rock at this time, 1976, was changing as the 80s were approaching. And I think Sabbath was really trying to catch up with the times and try to stay with these these bands like Foreigner, Queen, and you know some of the others, and I think that just didn't work. I think yeah. it fell flat. Um, a lot of songs are boring, except for that one song, "Dirty Women," which is a great song. "Dirty Women" is a great song. That's a good one. It's, yeah, that's a Black Sabbath song. Yeah, it's a, it's about you know prostitutes working in in the big inner cities, and it had a it, it's got the great Sabbath peaks and valleys, and yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, the only problem is that's the only song on the album that was yeah remotely like that. <laughs> Um, I would say 
you know, when it comes to listening to hard rock heavy metal, there's two things I look for. And one, which is in the beginning of the song, I like to hear something right at the gate that's really heavy. It's got a nice riff or a song that starts out slow, but it progressively builds to something. And that's what Dirty Woman does. I, you know, that's yes. why I like that song so much is because it starts out, you know, slow and then it builds, 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 and then it just and then you know, it goes fades out with the piano. Part right. And, right. Yeah. That's why that's such a great song. Everything else was just there, I think, for me, this album. Beginning of the end, I would say, definitely. And, and just to throw something at, a, a god-awful cover. I yeah, what is the that? The cover was <laughs> What just... is that? Very different. Yeah. So, now, now, TJ, you say, you know, your, your words are it's a beginning of the end. So, I mean, 1978 comes along, and it basically is the end of the Ozzy era. Right. Uh, Never Say Die mm-hmm. is released. But what, what? Let's start with you on this Yeah. One. What are your feelings on this? Um, I would say the same thing, you know, as technical ecstasy, but I think it's a little bit better. It's a slight advantage I would give to Never Say Die because they sound a little bit more like traditional Black Sabbath, I would say. Um, a notable song in here is the title track, Never Say Die. And, um, I would also say Junior's Blade is another great one too as well. But again, the drug usage in the band is just becoming worse at this point. I mean, right after this album is, you know released i think ozzy's tossed within you know a year or two from the band and osborne said himself in 1981 interview that he said that never say die was the worst piece of work that he's ever done he said he's ashamed of the album and disgusted with it which i think was something to point out because this was not a good album in my opinion i i think he says that because of where he was you know he he left the band at the beginning of the recording of this and that's when they had Dave Walker briefly uh, was was the singer. And then he came back and, and finished the record with them. I I like this record. I mean, do I like it as much as the first six records? No. Do I like it better than the record before it? Absolutely. I thought there were some really good songs on this. I, I like the production better. They uh, sounded more like Black Sabbath than the last record. Uh, Never Say Die I liked, I liked Johnny Blade, I liked Junior's Eyes, I liked Hard Road, I liked Air Dance, uh, I liked Over to You. I thought this was a good record. I didn't think it was, I, I really didn't think it was the end of them because I liked it better than the album before that. So I, in my mind at that time, I thought, you know, they were still going to be a, a growing concern going into the, into the 80s with, with the, you know, the classic four original members, um. Again, I didn't think it was as good as the first six records, but I, I liked it, and I I still like it. Well, now that's basically where we're at because we're we're up to the the first eight uh, um, Sabbath albums with Ozzy, and now he's gone. You talked about the drug usage; everybody knows that. Um, Nineteen eighty, and you got Ronnie James Dio coming into the picture, and you have Heaven and Hell. Um, I mean, let's talk about that album because that's, I think, a pretty much a landmark album, right? Yeah, it it it, it was. There's no question about it. I mean, me personally, I went kicking and screaming into listening to this record. I I, I wanted no part of the fact that Ozzy was out. Really? Um, I I didn't like the idea that Dio was in. To me, he was the guy that sang in Rainbow. He was nothing more and nothing less. I didn't really, even though he had a good voice, I didn't see him fronting my beloved black sabbath and i i when this record came out i was i was very reluctant about it i remember there were some guys in my neighborhood who bought it and were telling me you got to get this record it's really good and i reluctantly bought it and it, yeah it, it it won me over it won me over it's it's a great record it 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 merged these these two talents from two great bands into something that I never thought would have been as good as it was. But I'll, I'll turn it over to TJ. <laughs> yeah, so Dio is my favorite singer ever. I mean, my dad will, you know, yeah, back no me up with that one. Yeah, he read the Dio book like in 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my first exposure to rock was Dio's Holy Diver. Mm-hmm. So Dio is a special, you know, special place in my heart. So seeing him here in Black Sabbath 1980 heaven and hell this is just i would say a perfect album this is my favorite sabbath album again spoiler alert um (laughs) but this is just a great great album notable songs here heaven and hell of course a song that i've tried to break down even myself and say what is this about 
um, because the lyrics here, the deal, you know, that he talks about is just a, this, you can't even fathom what it's about. He says, the devil is never a maker. The less that you give your taker. Nobody knows what that means. I mean, there have been so many websites and people trying to break it down, but they just can't. But I guess that's the fun of it. Um, yeah, so Heaven and Hell, uh, Neon Knights, great opening. I think I believe that's the first uh, song in mm-hmm. the album. Yeah, uh, Lady Evil is a great song. Children of the Sea, Die Young, which is a song that I was exposed to recently, uh, within a couple months ago. Die Young, and that was a, that's. I mean, you showed me the the live version of that song, right? And I was like, I got to go back and look at this and, and really listen to this. And I was like, wow, this is great. This is good stuff. Uh, but yeah, I think I mean, when I read the book that Dio put out and he talks about, um, you know, joining Black Sabbath in 1980, uh, he was nervous. You know, he was like, I'm, you know, I'm taking the place of Ozzy. And he goes, Ozzy's not a good singer, but he's a good frontman. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's he was he was really nervous getting into it. And, you know, he did receive a lot of backlash at a lot of shows and uh but i give him credit i mean this is this is amazing this album no he gutted it out and he yeah. did receive a, a lot of backlash and i from myself too i i honestly when i found out he was in, in the band i i was less than t- i was very unhappy that ozzy wasn't in, in anymore to begin with yeah and little did i know it was the best thing for black sabbath and ozzy that it, it broke up but did you see the band live uh yeah band? i saw the heaven and hell tour uh, with uh, Blue Oyster Cult. It was called uh, Black, and, Black Blue. and Blue. I saw it at the Nassau yeah. Coliseum. Ah, mm. the famous one. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. it's also uh, good to point out this is the third highest selling album for Black Sabbath behind Paranoid and Master Reality. So very quickly, I think Dio rose to uh, the occasion. Yeah. So I think that's, uh, I think this is a great album. I mean, there's just nothing around it. Besides I, the I, fact that I it, never thought he would have fit this much in this band because. I, I liked Rainbow when he was in Rainbow. I, I, I've come to love Rainbow more as the years have gone on. Now, don't forget, I, I mean, I I grew up on this stuff, and I was high school, sometimes, you know, drop out of high school. So uh, I didn't have all the digesting time that maybe you guys had with with some of these records. I, I liked Rainbow. They weren't, like, at that time, like a band that I thought were, like, incredible. Mm. I thought Black Sabbath was incredible, and... I didn't think he would have fit in as well as he did. And yeah. the songwriting, for the most part on this album, was tremendous. I think I, if I had to be a little picky, I, I think it does I think it does taper out at the end a little bit. Walk away, lonely is the word. Mm. Yeah, they're not bad songs, but, you know, but there's five or six absolutely iconic songs on here that are also talk about stuff that's not dated at all. It's... It sounds like it was recorded yesterday. I think what Dio brings to the table is the type of lyrics that he talks about. You know, all the stuff about dragons and, you know, knights and, you know, all this medieval stuff. And, you know, it's 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 really a, a game-changing aspect for this band because they're so used to the doom and gloom with Ozzy and, you know, talk about drugs and wars and stuff like that. And then you bring Dio that gives it, well, you know, like a, almost like... Um, they kind of merge. They merge it, right. Yeah. And it worked. I yeah. think that's what worked. I That's it, what I didn't yeah. think would work. Right. That's what right. I was against when I have found out that he was... I, I actually did not buy this record when it came out. I boycotted it. And there were guys in my neighborhood that knew how crazy I was about Black Sabbath that would actually like accost me and tell me, I can't believe you haven't bought this record. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't, the guy in Rainbow singing, and it was, yeah. you got to listen to this record. And I did buy it. I went to King's Plaza in, in Brooklyn and I bought the record at Sam Goody's and I listened to it and it, it won me over. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, now 1981, a year later, comes along, and now we have Mob Rules. So uh, let's talk about that. Uh, what can I say about Mob Rules? Let's see. It's it, good. It was, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 to me, it's even better than, than the predecessor. This record was just, yeah, I can't say enough about it. It's every song. He, he really, uh, you could see how much he fit into the band. Mm-hmm. And some of these songs, you could see how he enveloped the, the, the Sabbath influence because there was some really dark stuff on yeah. here, like uh, Sign of the Southern Cross, Mob Rules, Slipping Away, Falling Off the Edge of the World, over and over. I mean, it, it, it 
voodoo. Uh, it's it's this is a deeper, darker record I thought than even the, the predecessor. This this record was to me was Dio totally infusing himself into the Giza Butler Tony Iommi template. Yeah, I would say. Um, I mean, yeah, I agree with everything, um, but I would say the song "The Mob Rules." It's okay. It's Doesn't, probably the weakest song on the, the album, yeah. right? And it's right. an iconic song. That's right. how good this album is. Right, right, right. It's it doesn't really move me that well, but there's other songs, of course, I do. Like Voodoo, Sign the Southern Cross, Country Girl, which Country Girl is a great song, very underrated song yeah. in my opinion, not talked about a lot. Yeah, and Falling Off the Edge of the World. A lot of common uh, stuff with, with all these songs is the fact that they they go up and down, right? There's those you know the periods of time where you know it's it's very low and then it builds it builds this, this album really harkens back to the early sabbath stuff mm-hmm. where they have these dramatic time changes where right you, where you're led in a direction and then it just kind of stops and then iomi pulls out a riff yep that had nothing to do with the other part of the right. song right. and then brings it back to that original right. part right and throwing in dio's voice in right. there only right. makes it that much They're better more powerful but yeah there, there was there were more time changes like that than probably going back to like the the second or third albums. Yeah, I, I would say uh, Heaven and Hell is a little bit is in my opinion is bit slightly better than this album, but this album is still great. I think it's still a fantastic album. The cover is is so dark. You know, you have you know Black Sabbath mob rules. You know, it looks like it's like blood on the walls and satanic signs on here, and you know like a cult. You know, it's 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 dark. It's really dark. Yeah, no, and it is. Uh, I think this is a phenomenal album. Absolutely. And both of these were produced by Martin Birch, who's always been one of my favorite producers. And both of them had great production, especially Mob Rules. Yeah. Well, now, since we were talking about the whole you know, episode here that we're doing, is basically the, the original Ozzy you know, era of Sabbath. And then we're talking about the Dio era. Now, there was obviously you know, the two albums. We've got Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules in 1980-81. But... You know, obviously there's a, a break now where, you know, other singers came into the band over the years. Uh, you know, we know about 1983. We had Ian Gillen come in for an album that just, I mean, a lot of people <laughs> don't really like that album. And I, One know, of them is sitting right here. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> um, I mean, you had Glenn Hughes in for an album. You had, you know, the Tony Martin era, of course. Uh, but 1992, Dio comes back into the picture and the band records Dehumanizer. Um, what were your thoughts on that? I mean, this is, it's a, obviously, you know, we're 10, 11 years from the last time Dio was with the band. So it's a whole different time. You know, music is different. What were your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think this, in, in retrospect, not that I knew this, you know, 29 years ago, but I, I think this was a cash grab. And, and you know, I've, I've read enough books, Iomi's book and, and other things, too. Uh, people were kind of clamoring for a return of of this lineup. I personally wasn't because I was a big Tony Martin fan, and I liked all those Tony Martin albums. And I kind of settled into you know that that lineup with Cozy Powell and Neil Murray and and Tony Tony Martin and obviously Iommi. So I, I didn't find myself so much clamoring for uh, a reunion with Dio. And uh, the album itself is, it, it, the songs just aren't there. I, I mean, I, again, if you go on Facebook and, and you go on all these pages, there are guys that, you know, worship this and think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't see it. I, I've, I've tried to like this album and even trying to like it. I don't particularly like it. I do like the last song, I which I think is a is a real Black Sabbath song with a great riff, but I, I thought the production on it was was very trebly and mid rangey sounding, and I didn't like Dio's vocal style. It sounded very forced, like he was trying to he was trying to be evil or trying to be you know scary. It, it, it was just a very forced album, and in retrospect, I think it was a—I think it was a bunch of guys that really didn't have great material to offer, but knew the record would at the time would do good, which it, it did, and they'd get a, a good, you know, drawing tour out of it, which they did. And I, in, in reality, I, I think it was kind of a cash grab. 
But, yeah. Well, now, this is interesting because I hear, you know, you just said your feelings on this album. So now let's, I want to hear TJ's thoughts on this because, you know, obviously you're not coming from that same, you know, point as your dad because, mm-hmm. you know, he was living it at the time. Right. You know, you weren't born yet. <laughs> so, what, you know, looking at the whole, like, you know, discography of the band up to that point, you know. Now, did have you ever gotten into any of the other eras, like the, the Ian Gillen with Born Again or Tony Martin era? Have, have you listened to any of those? I've albums? listened to Born Again, and it's just kind of there, I would say. Um, I didn't really, like, dissect the album, but I listened to a few tracks, and um, I would say, you know, it, it didn't move me, really, yeah. you know, that, that period. Um now, yeah. well, I, I tried to get him into yeah. Tony Martin. You know, I, I I I would say maybe about a year or so ago, I, I sent him some Tony Martin songs and he listened to them and he said, you know, it wasn't bad, but it didn't really move. Right. This is there. I, and I think he's looking at it like, you know, like his expectations of Black Sabbath. And we, me and you were actually talking on the phone about yeah. this yesterday. A lot of that stuff isn't overly Black Sabbath sounding. It yes, kind of... Right. You know, it's got elements of Black Sabbath, but kind of elements of you know eighty later eighties. Oh, definitely more melodic, right? More times, melodic, you know, right? Yeah. The, the the phrasings and the the production. So I, I hope to down the road get him into that Tony Martin stuff because it is really really good. But it's you know we've talked about that and I've talked about it with him also. It's not true Black Sabbath. You had one original member in in the band, but right. Um, but what were your TJ? What were your feelings on the Humanizer? It's it it didn't move me either. Um, I, I'm not a fan of it at all. Um, I feel like Sabbath is trying to keep up with the '90s sound. You know that that punk metal. I actually that's that's kind of the feeling I yeah. had from that. Too. It's funny yeah. he said that to me, and I never thought that. And we listened to the record tonight yeah. before you came over. Yeah, we did. And yeah. I, I haven't really paid attention to this record for you know probably 25 years. And you really could could get the vibe that they they're trying to sound more like that ninety two ninety three, and that's yeah they're they're of that time. I mean, look at the single like TV Crimes, right? Right. I mean, it's, right. That's very yeah. much yeah. in that sort of vein of that style of what was happening in like hard rock and metal or whatever at that right. period. Yeah. Right. I think that's what I didn't like about it because there was no reason for them to have to do. I, I mean, I don't know whether that was record company, you know pressure or their own yeah, brain just a sign of the times right but yeah. it, it's it, it's got a forced vibe it's a very dark album yeah no you it know, is but it, it it's like a modern dark album right yeah. it's not like a 70s dark album right. which is kick-ass this is just right. i don't know you know computer god was was just there you know it's some of the song tv crimes you know it's it's okay yeah. uh but the song i i think is good that's that, a good that song. is a really that's good a, song. and, and you know kind of like what song. they did on technical ecstasy with dirty with dirty women. women yeah they left the best song at the on end the last. Yeah, well, you know that's, 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 i give them yeah. credit for having the balls to leave their best song at the end of the album because that's usually not the uh the lineup yeah time machine which was from a soundtrack oh um, yeah right that's another song that just never really moved me. Uh, it's I don't th- I don't really think that much of this record. I really did. I, I, I don't. I, I, it's just my own personal feeling. Well, now as we do when when you and I, Tom, do these discography discussion episodes, um, we all you know we do a ranking of you know the favorite albums, you know one through whatever, and we're going to do that again here today. So uh, do you want to start with yours, Tom? I'll start with mine. Uh, number one, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Uh, number two, Volume Four. Number three, Mob Rules. Number four, Heaven and Hell. Number five, Paranoid. Number six, Sabotage. Number seven, Black Sabbath, self-titled. Number eight, Master of Reality. Number nine, Never Say Die. Number ten, Technical Ecstasy, and number eleven, Dehumanizer. Okay, TJ. Okay. I was thinking about this. We and some one of my friends suggested this. I I, I didn't catch it before you started it, but I think we got to do like a, maybe like the from the bottom up, and then we could build some you know, that, anticipation. That, yes, that, with that, the listeners. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we, up to this point, it we've took done, us six know, months of doing this. <laughs> yeah. to, uh, no, absolutely. Kudos to your friend. I agree yeah. because it it yeah it's it's like showing your hand. It's it's like being a poker player right. and showing your hand. Yeah, I said. Yeah. You know, my buddy Lance said this to me. I said, you know, it makes a hell of a lot 
lot of sense. Absolutely. Yeah. We got to yeah. start there. I don't know. Kudos, kudos to Lance. Yeah, yeah. I'll, go, I'll, go from the bottom. I'll up. start. Okay. So number 11, Dehumanizer. Number 10, Technical Ecstasy. Number 9 is Never Say Die. Number 8, Black Sabbath. Number 7, Master Reality. Number 6, Sabotage. Number 5, Volume 4. Number 4, The Mob Rules. Number 3, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. Number two is Paranoid. And for me, number one, Heaven and Hell. Well, there you go. Interesting. So we'll put these up on the website as we always do. And, uh, you know, we always ask people to kind of, you know, let us know your thoughts on them. Uh, give us your, you know, top album, top whatever, you know, want to go do all 11. That's fine, too. Um, but, yeah, this is uh, this was a good episode. I think it was interesting because we had the father-son <laughs> duo here, the little give and take. Hopefully you know? we'll have them back soon. Definitely, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that was it. That's uh, that's the episode. Uh, Black Sabbath. uh Aussie era, original Aussie era versus uh, the Dio era. So, uh, yeah, that's another episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, you know, check us out on, obviously, we're all available on Spotify, Apple Music. Um, check us out on YouTube and subscribe. Become a, a member and follow us along on our Facebook page. Follow along on the YouTube channel. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys with a new episode soon.